Welcome to Spinning Out. I'm your host, Josh Robbins. This is a podcast where we talk to guests about their favorite albums. Before we get into it, hope you all had a great holiday and a great new year. It's good to be back. Today we're talking with Anna Troxel of the band Lovelorn and previously of Creepoid. We talked about Silver Jews' 1998 album American Water a few weeks ago. We also talk about addiction, mental health, and a few other heavy topics, so just a little heads up. Go deep and it's a great chat. Don't forget to check out our Patreon. That's patreon.com slash spinningoutpod. My co-host Sarah and I chat about records that meant a lot to us as kids. So fun little chats exclusive to the Patreon feed. So subscribe for as little as $1 to listen. Also check us out on social media at Spinning Out over at Twitter and Instagram. Love Lauren released their debut album, What's Your Damage, last year on 6131 Records. Definitely recommend checking that out if you missed it. Okay, let's chat with Anna. I'm spinning out, I'm spinning out, I'm spinning out with you. I'm spinning out, I'm spinning out, I'm spinning out with you. How's it going? Hey, I'm doing good. It's 75 degrees and it's almost Christmas, so... I'm glad I live in Austin. <laughs> so are y'all in Texas full time now? or Basically, Pat, his heart still, he still told, oh, we're back and forth a lot, <laughs> which we are, but we live here. We live in Austin. Yeah. That's a that's a long distance it's to be back and forth. Quite a bit. And I hate to fly, <laughs> like loathe yeah. it. So I'm pretty much, I'm good. <laughs> he goes back and forth. I kind of stay here. <laughs> yeah. Are any of y'all from Texas originally or no. just the place you just liked and wanted to be? Yeah, well, you know, Pat lived here in like 2004 to 2008. And mm. um, when we reconnected um, through MySpace, he was mm. still living in Austin and I got him to move back to the East Coast. But during the pandemic, I was like, hey, health insurance sounds really tight. So mm. <laughs> we get yeah, back it's... to Austin where we can actually get health insurance. <laughs> Uh, yeah, having health insurance is nice, and that is also something that I started getting while. Congrats! Because I got a I got a job. Congrats! That, yeah, so health insurance is really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but today we are talking about Silver Jews, their 1998 album American Water that came out on October 20th, 1998, on Drag City. It's their third album, and what I'll ask is. When was the first time you heard this record or Silver Jews in general? Um, so uh, the first Creepoid van was a gold minivan that Sean bought because Pat told him, you got to get a van, dude. <laughs> and he was smart. He knew I wasn't going to buy a van yet. So he tricked me into it later. But So he told Sean, you got to get a van. So he got this minivan because we were going to go to South by for the first time. And I guess it was 2011, something like that. 2010 or 20, probably 2011. And so we had like a bunch of CDs like that we burned for the trip, you know, because yeah. we're going to go. We were all working full time jobs then. So we're going to drive straight overnight to South by. So Pat's like, I got all these CDs. You know, I burned all these CDs for the road. And one of them was American Water. I had never heard it. I had never heard Silver Jews before. And we listened to it like I feel like the whole trip. Like in my mind, yeah. it was just like on constant like repeat. And I, it was, you know, driving like that overnight. And it 
it's dark and you're like half asleep and just states are flying by and like I'm just like what is this <laughs> you know yeah. just like so entranced I can't like sleep because I was just like so in love with it like right away and like I remember we pulled into Memphis at like seven six or seven in the morning it was like all foggy and like wet and like gray and me being like I can't like what can we listen to it again like everyone else is like over it because they all I'm like can we like pop that in one more time <laughs> you know mm -hmm. and yeah like that that record just became so important to Creepoid as we were like thinking about and talking about it, like our next moves and writing and uh, like that was just like the touchstone for me like I gotta make a record like that you know? yeah. <laughs> like like just aim aim real big <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, yeah. I, I like thinking that that was like a reference to Creepoid because I also like I like sometimes when I feel like when I'm writing a song there's been a couple times where I'm like, I think I just ripped off a Neurosis song. Oh, yeah. yeah. But it's like, no one would know that <laughs> right. by the bands I'm in. So it's it's like Creepoid kind of like using it as a reference and like, you know, Creepoid sounding the way they do is like, oh, that's always fun to yeah. me to like think that it's like, that's what you thought right. in a way that you were doing, but it just comes out the way it's going to come out. For sure. Yeah. yeah. I'm aspiring yeah. to be this. Like, you know, it's coming out differently, but like, I just like... I just, it's not even the the sound of it so much mm -hmm. as just the the heart of it you know and like wanting to make a record like that that would like entrance someone you yeah. know yeah and so you were saying that uh creepoid was working like full time mm. during that time frame um i guess like when did creepoid start so we started um we Kind of, I mean, when we started writing together it was 2009, like right, mm. right around Christmas. It snowed and we, li we were living in this super hilly part of Philly. So Sean Miller came over just to hang for like the night yeah. and he ended up getting stuck there all weekend because he's like, I'm not leaving now because it was snowing and he was like, fuck it, like I'm here. So he's like, I he had brought his guitar and he's like, I got some songs like I'd like to work like work on, you know. So him and Pat like literally went down the basement and just wrote Yellow Life Giver, our first seven inch. Mm -hmm. And then they were like, hey, like, come on down, like, come see what we did. You know what I mean? And I was like, oh, cool. Like, like, I'll do like, can I do stuff, too? You know, <laughs> like, they're like, yeah, like, sing, sing on this part, you know. And then like we called our buddy Pete. We're like, get over here, bring your guitar, bring your slide. And like we just wrote the whole and recorded the whole seven inch like that weekend. So that was like right at the end of 2009. Mm. Yeah. And then I guess uh, kind of just juggling, like working full time jobs and wanting to pick up the band more kind of the, the story. I'm I'm familiar with that. Yeah, kind yeah of life. for <laughs> sure. I mean, Pat and I were in another band together at the time. So this just seemed like, oh, a fun thing to do on the side. You know what I mean? Like yeah. we never thought like, oh, this will be a thing um, like I was teaching and I can't remember what Pat was doing whatever the hell he was doing. Sean was working as a full-time graphic designer. Pete was working full-time. And it just, like, slowly kept taking up more and more space. You know what I mean? It kept mm -hmm. being like, oh, let's yeah. let's do a tour. Let's do this. Let's do that. You know, like, by the time it was, like, I think 2013 was when we really started talking about doing something for real. And it took me and Pat quite a while to convince Sean to give up his, you know, job and life and all the comforts of home but by 2014 we had like convinced him and that's when we were like Shh, 
yeah jumped off the cliff yeah <laughs> yeah and you were a professor at one point yes yeah I, okay yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, th- i guess the little that's the little uh tidbit that i yes. learned about you in yeah. my research yes i was an uh, adjunct at LaSalle university and drexel university in philly oh okay and what uh classes did you teach i taught um art history classes photography classes history of photo classes um I got to make up a bunch of classes, so I would do both, oh, basically okay. like photography and culture, and how photography shaped culture, and vice versa. Yeah, yeah. I guess when I was looking at like when uh, American Water came out, and just also thinking about like David Berman released a poetry book called Actual Air mm. in 1999, and I was kind of wondering like, you know, like if you have you ever read that book or yes. any of his poems? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I just kind of thinking about, I guess, like you teaching and then him, you know, kind of being, I guess, involved, even if by accident and kind of academia by being like a poet. So, right. Yeah. I just mean, kind of the correlation between it. You academia, know? tough, tough world. Yeah. <laughs> like, and thinking of Berman in that world, you know what I mean? It's just like such a standout, you know? And like, yeah. But yeah, I mean, my background is not in music at all. Like I'm a, my, I went to school for photography, so I went to art school. But before that, mm-hmm. I was doing a lot of writing. So like, um, and I'm doing a lot of writing like right now. And so I'm, I, I consider myself more of a writer even I think than a musician, you know. So I yeah. think that that's what I really relate so strongly to Berman's work is that is his writing, because you listen to it and you're like, yeah, this is great music and it's beautiful, but like the writing, you know, like, mm-hmm. um, like you just can't escape it, you know, like it yeah. just grabs you so instantly. Yeah, definitely on this record. I mean, most of their records, but it's like that idea of like telling a story that feels like lived in, I guess is a way to put it. Because right. sometimes like I feel like I can create a character in like a song or when I'm writing, but it's like, does it feel authentic? 100%. It's like a really hard thing to do. And it feels like I almost would feel like, did this really happen to David Berman? You know? Right. Yeah. I mean, that's something yeah. I learned about making art is that you want to you want to connect to everyone right so you think i have to paint this in a broad stroke so everybody can connect to it and what that's actually like no wrong like you have to be really specific to you Mm -hmm. and that's when you connect to people because people like can pick up on like what you're saying that authenticity and that's what people relate to not necessarily Mm -hmm. like oh that exact thing happened to me but that feeling of it you know what I mean? So like the more that you can yeah. get to that feeling is like what brings people together, you know? Yeah. Sometimes I feel like when I'm writing lyrics, like if it feels like really general, then like just kind of like hitting, like you were saying, like something specific to me mm-hmm. that kind of makes it feel like, oh, this is like actually what I feel right. in it, you know? And then like you're saying, like it's someone may not have had like the story that David Berman was saying, like, you know, about, like, oh, what the tan line on your finger kind right. of thing. Mm-hmm. But it's, like, you could you could almost, like, think about a situation that you had that was potentially close to it, and then you feel more connected to it, even right. if it didn't exactly happen to you, like you were saying. Totally. You yeah. want to talk about loneliness, you know? So here's my yeah. memory of being lonely, you know? And people are like, oh, yeah, me too, man. Like, because you feel, like how real that was for him, you know, and you remember how real whatever your memory was, you know, for you. Yeah. So had you listened to like pavement ever? Like, not really. I mean, like 
sort of like you know what i mean on yeah like, you'll hear it, because but... it was around and it was pretty yeah dominant in the not but in like in the 90s like late 90s i was like a punk dude yeah. you know what i mean like i was like yeah. in high school that was like i'm listening to like operation ivy and like I guess like later '90s, I'm like more into then like Philly specific like Kid Dynamite and like mm-hmm. getting now into like Saves the Day and shit like that. It was like, but I wouldn't have listened to anything that had was on MTV in the '90s. <laughs> like, yeah, like I was like, that's like my dad listens to that, corny. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. you know, I was like, you know, I only listen to real music. Like, so I kind of just missed it. Like I like didn't like I just missed all that, and then like in the early 2000s man that like it's like a black time for me for like all media because i was in i moved to new york city and i went through like a pretty bad time so i was kind of like offline for everything so when people Mm -hmm. reference things that happened like early 2000s i'm always like no sorry missed it (laughs) like don't like movies music i'm like no i come back up in like 2006 when i went to grad school so like there's this sort of like time in between and that's when i started getting into music again and of course like pat would like play shit like that for me but even pavement man like it's it's just it's not the same you know for me like i get it like and obviously he's on you know lots of silver jews uh music but what i find so different between the two of them is that pavement well silver jews david's lyrics are so often so funny Right. Like so mm-hmm. funny that, and like heartbreakingly like l- like funny, but also just funny, funny. Malcolmus, he for me, he takes it to like a silly place mm-hmm. and he gets so silly that I just peace out. Like I'm like, ah, you know what I mean? Like I want the like crush your soul funny kind and not yeah. the like silly. Like, you know what I mean? We're just being goofy. I'm like, I get that. But like, it's just not the same for me. Like they're so like. Yeah. Yeah, like definitely there's times with Malcolmus, um, you know, basically what you're saying, but like he feels like unattached. Like there's Mm. never really a point that like Berman feels like unattached. Like it's it's like self-deprecating and it's dark funny, but he's he's always like in it. He gives a fuck. You know what I mean? Like he cares so much about it. And yeah, he and I think Malcolmus prefers to seem aloof and cool and, you know, yeah. To have like a distance from it. For sure. You know? Yeah. It's like it's like if they were if they were experiencing the same thing, it's like Stephen Malcolmus is like a little bit further away and David Berman's like right there in it. Yeah. Like you know? yeah, Malcolmus so. is observing. You know? Yeah. <laughs> He's like, Yeah, like go do that. That'll make for a great song. And Berman's like, Oh shit, I, I broke my arm doing this. You know what I mean? Like like he's yeah. like a hundred percent in it, you know. Yeah, he's gotta like live it to write it. Right. Yeah. Um and that's Interesting. I feel like there was like a point with like liking pavement. Like I, I wouldn't have really liked them at, in like high school or whatnot either mm-hmm. because it's like you were saying, I feel like it was like I identified as a punk and I talk about that like every episode, but yeah. it was like there was like <laughs> a divide between like what I viewed as like indie rock and like punk or whatever it was. It was like everything versus punk. Of course. It felt like. Of course. Yeah. 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 <laughs> like us against the world. Like you don't understand. I'm a punk. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so even with like Silver Jews, I feel like there was like, it had to come a little bit later with me. For sure. Like yeah. for liking them. Cause it was still like 
indie rock of, you know yes yeah mm-hmm. yeah and they're still like a i, I mean i like pavement and if i i'd call myself like a fan yeah but that unattachment does kind of like is a little off-putting sometimes where i feel like i can't connect with it mm-hmm. or i also feel like sometimes when a pavement song comes on i'm like oh i'm you know it's like i've heard it too much even right. if i haven't listened to pavement in like forever right but every time a silver juice song comes on it's like I, I want it to be there. A hundred percent, yeah. Like lights out. Yeah. Like it demands your attention, you know. But it, when you look at them both as bands, like sonically, there's so many similarities. I mean, yeah, you know, they play on each other's music so often, mm-hmm. but it feels, yeah, there's just so much different, like emotional weight. Yes. To Silver Jews, yeah. But uh, kind of one fact that I found interesting. So Mike Fellows, who plays bass on this album. Mm. Uh, he was also in Rites of Spring. Oh, shit, really? Yeah. I didn't know so that. I'm sure that Pat that's... knows it and be like, yeah, I told you that 10 times. Or, you know, like, yeah. But yeah, that checks out. You know? Yeah. So, and other punk points, I guess. Too. Yeah. Okay. See, Silver Juice. If somebody had told me that in the 90s, you know? <laughs> like, yeah, I would have liked it. <laughs> yeah. I get what also kind of hits me too is like when they were recording American Water. Uh, David Berman was like going through kind of like hard times in terms of like addiction and right. whatnot. Like, um, and I'm not even sure what my comment is, but you feel it in the music so much. Like, mm-hmm. like we were kind of saying, like he's not just observing it or commenting on it. Like he's in it, right? Uh, and so I don't know if if that's like something you feel when listening to Silver Jews. Like, yeah, I mean for sure. Like you get that that. Like, you know, I told you, like, I went through, like, a bad time, right? I wasn't an addict, but there's, like, a lot of similarities. I had an eating disorder, right? So, mm-hmm. like, bad, bleak time where my life is focused on one solitary thing, and that's, like, being unwell, right? So that connects – I relate to a lot of people's stories about addiction because we're all on the same path of, like, choosing the darkness, right? Mm-hmm. Whatever – with whatever form that that takes. And so, like, when I listen to his lyrics, I just sense that deep sense of like desperation you Mm -hmm. know and like just getting like getting through day to day and like just trying to like make sense of life one second at a time which is like how an addict somewhat like mentally unwell person like that's how we operate right we're just going one day one second like making it through so you're not able to have this like grand picture of like you know, like life, it's more like these observations that are coming at you like really slowly and quietly more. And so like, I think that that's what I relate to him, the, the, that sense of, of desperation. And like, I feel that in his lyrics so acutely, you know, and like, that's what I would wanted so badly to do with, with Creepoid and with Lovelorn now. It's just to like write something that is so true to me that someone else can be like, damn, like I feel that too. Like, and I've been there. But, like, with David, you can't, you, like, you know, hope, like, oh, there's hope on the other side. But, like, you know, it's just, like, such a crushing story of of how he just could never really escape that, you know. But it's true. Like, you know, that's the end result for so much of, like, addiction or or mental illness and unhealthy behaviors, like, coming out. And you just wish, like, that he could have found his way out of that darkness, you know. Mm -hmm. But then you wonder, like could he have written these like amazing things if he didn't go through that too, you know? And in no way do I want to like romanticize 
addiction or you know what I mean? You don't want to be like, oh, that yeah. made him an artist. It doesn't make you a fucking artist. Like you're you can't do shit unless you're just you are an artist, right? Yeah. But it feeds into it and it gives you like a lot of fodder, you know, a lot of material to work with. Yeah, and I wonder like when you those I, I want to like talk properly about like you know your struggles with mm-hmm. you know eating disorder and stuff and don't want to sound like insensitive right. uh, <laughs> but do you feel like when listening to something like sober Jews like uh, it's like cathartic kind of hearing that or does it kind of put you in a space that like feels negative or makes you ruminate on it like thinking about kind of projecting yourself onto it I don't think it feels cathartic. <laughs> like I do think it feel more like you're you're brought back to that ten really tender place. You know what I mean? And then like that but mm-hmm. there's comfort in knowing that you've like left that place too, right? So like you yeah. more feel like you remember being in in such a desperate place. And that puts you back there and you can relate to that and then you kind of let it go. You know, <laughs> you know, I'm like, yeah. all right, like, I'm not that. I'm glad I'm not there anymore, but I'm also glad that like I can visit it sometimes. You know. Yeah, yeah. That's what I mean. Sometimes when I well, when I listen to this, it's like as much as I like this record, like, or how often do you feel like you put it on after that? You know, after that trip, is it something you reach for a lot? Yeah, not yeah. no, yeah, and like after David dot, like after he took his yeah. life, there I didn't listen to anything related to Berman for I don't know two years or something. What is it? What was it? Twenty nineteen? He took his life. Yeah, yeah. So like there was a big chunk of time I just could not could not listen to it. Like, and it slowly I'd be like, okay, let me put on Purple Mountains, kind of like ease myself into it. You know what I mean? Like, because I love Purple Mountains, but it's not Silver Juice to me. But like, like bring me back into it you know and it just hurt it hurt and still hurts so bad even more so now knowing that he was still so unhappy you know and that it was still so yeah you know he was still in so much pain so it hurts to listen to it because you think about like you were all you were just so much in the darkness you know and it, like it feels but it does feel like honoring him too you know and be like well he really, he left this as something to remember him by, you know? So like, it's good to be able to, to visit it. That's why I think of it. Like mm-hmm. I'm just visiting it and then I have to put it away. <laughs> yeah. 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 I think that there was like a point when like purple mountains album came out. I was like, I was like, I almost didn't want to listen to it because I knew just with his body of work, right. you know? And then, then it was like, I didn't get around to it. And then he passed away because yeah. it was like basically right when the album came out. Right. Yeah. Then I was like, Oh, not. And I still haven't listened to that album. Yeah. I've heard so many people tell me it's amazing. It and is. I, I know it that is. it is. It is. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm like, oh, you know, it's like, I'm wait. It's like, I'm waiting to kind of get to a point where I feel like I'm like, okay, enough to receive it, I guess. I totally yeah. understand. I mean, I was also resistant to hearing it and listening to it. And then I did. And I was like, oh, my God, it is amazing. And Pat and I were supposed to see Purple Mountains for the first time. We were going to see David Berman. We have ne- both had have never seen him live. So we were so excited. And it was going to be on a Monday night in Philly. And we were doing a little tour that weekend, just like New York, Boston, something. Can't remember and that Friday night, we were in New York. We were at St. Vitus. We did sound check, sat down to have a drink, and got the news. Like, And we were just like, oh, my God. Like, he took his life that 
I think the night before. And not only are we not going to see him now, but he took his life. You know what I mean? It was just like so devastating to be so close and to feel like I was so excited to see you on tour and you clearly did not want to be on tour. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that push and pull between me being so self selfishly wanting to have seen you one time, but also knowing how painful it would have been if you had, if I had had seen it, like to think about how much torment you would have been going through. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Like it was just this weird, like mine, like, ah, you know, like, Oh, it's so rough. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, I was reading about kind of like, almost like the reason behind and, I almost I don't know how much of it is like completely true, right? But it's like he he decide he kind of like put the record together and decided to go on tour because like he was in like it said like a hundred thousand dollars in like credit card right. debt, mm -hmm. and so the tour would have kind of served as a way to like help him, you know, with the financial issues, and that's like such a bummer. Such a bummer. <laughs> it's understandable, right? <laughs> and, I, yeah. yeah, but like what a again desperate place to be. Yeah, you know. And I, I mean, it's like also I'm thinking about it. I'm like, I wish there was like a more positive way to like talk about. This, it's I'm it's sorry. hard. It's hard it's to talk about. No, no, bummer podcast. no, no. I, I mean, I, I think it's great to talk about yeah. it. It's just there's no way to kind of like approach like David Berman without it going this way. But that doesn't mean I don't want to. Right. It's just it's just it's just the it gravity is. of it, you know, and it, yeah. and it touches into the record industry right now the music industry and like wouldn't it be cool if he could have just sold those albums and made a lot of money because people bought yeah. them that would have been cool but like no like as a musician today we have to tour to make money like pat and i would always say like sharks only eat when they swim right so like you want to make money you have to tour you got to go out there and like that's when you're really bringing in money because people don't buy physical copies of records very often but they will in person right that so like creepoid we never sold records online like hardly i mean we did but we sold more yeah. in person and like we made money when we toured and like i'm sure that was the, his reality too like all right i'm gonna sell x amount if i sit at home i'm gonna sell a lot more if i go out you know like and having to make that decision about really not wanting to do it but kind of having to do it because of the situation you know like it sucks you know yeah, and I feel like when like American Water and then some of the earlier records came out, like there was even more of a possibility of like making money off your music and, you know, through things like I know Drag City like paid him money and at some point he like lived above the label office uh, mm. and but I, as like time progressed, it's like I bet just like getting money from your music without touring became less and less of a thing that was possible. Sure. So, you know, as yeah, as we got into well, when Silver Jew started touring around uh like two thousand and five, mm -hmm. I believe. And I assume around that time frame it's just as it has been, it right. just becomes more like you have to tour. Right. There is no money coming in. Exactly. You know. That's only like I I often joke like, Man, I really wish I had been around for that eighties or nineties money. <laughs> you know what I mean? You'd mm -hmm. just be a shitty band and you made money, but I also am grateful that I didn't in that do I didn't live in that in between time where I had to go from getting paid and respected for your craft and people being like, "Oh yes, you've made this amazing thing. I I expect to pay for it." <laughs> right? To live in when we live now where people kind of just expect music to be free. And, you know, like I don't want to 
turn this into a rant about that because I get it. I, I truly get it. But it sucks to, to pour your heart and soul into something. And people are really resistant to, to thinking that it's deserving of being like bought. <laughs> you know? like, yeah. Yeah. That, and that's where it's like we both it's like we both understand that like people can't I guess people can't buy everything. Right. You know? Mm-hmm. And like, you know, people just don't have money. Right. You know. For sure. But it's like to assume that you shouldn't have to pay money for it. Right. Is where it's like that's, becomes a weird thing. Right. That's yeah. where you're like, okay, well I kinda yeah. took a lot of time to make it, you know, like but you know, I do. I'm one of those weirdos that I do like touring. I like touring a lot, so it's fine. I don't mind. I'll tour like all the time. We love to tour, but not everybody likes to do that, and not everyone should have to to give up all the comforts of home and stability of home if that's not, you know, well a safe place for you to leave either. You know. Well, I guess. Uh, well, they also thinking about like his relationship with Dave Berman's relationship with his father. I, I'm not sure if you've. Read anything? No, I haven't read anything. I mean, I can assume based on lyrics, but yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah. Um, So his father is named Richard Berman, and he is or was a lobbyist. And he was like... Right, I did. Yes, yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he was like a big anti-union lobbyist. And almost essentially anything that you could put, like he would just kind of like fuck up a bunch of shit with being a lobbyist. Like Richard Berman probably had a hand in it. Gotcha. You know? (laughs) And so, like, like he publicly, and a lot of times in his music, David Berman would kind of, like, disavow his father. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's also complicated because, like, his father, like, gave him money at some point to, like, go to rehab. You know, one of the many stents to... Um, so, I don't know, just, like, thinking about that complicated relationship with, like, parents, you know. Oh, that's yeah, for sure. probably me projecting a lot of myself there, but... <laughs> Yeah. of course of course like you know like i i it's an ongoing re- thing right you know like i had an eating disorder and still don't have any kind of feeling that my parents take any sort of not responsibility but they didn't even seem to take like an interest in it right so like that's been something that even today like now i'm 16 years from the day I walked out of being hospitalized, right? So, like, I was hospitalized for, like, two and a half months. I got myself into a program completely on my own where I could get well for free, right? So, again, one of the problems that addicts come into and people with mental health problems come into, we don't have money to pay for our treatment, right? So we Mm -hmm. rely on asking parents that you might not have a great relationship with that it kills you inside to have to ask for money, but you need it because you don't have access to it without it, right? So my thing with my parents was more like, hey, like, don't worry about me. I'm going to take care of it. You know what I mean? And them not really even being like, oh, well, but what can we do? You know what I mean? They're like, oh, cool. She's got it. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, like, I don't really got it, you know? And even like when I was sick, like, like there's a physical aspect to eating disorders often, mm-hmm. not always, a hundred percent, not always, but I was anorexic and anorexic. There is a really physical aspect to it. And so I, I dropped a huge amount of weight in a very short amount of time and nobody said anything to me about it, which is also like the mind fuck of, of an eating disorder. It tells you, well, see, you don't have an eating disorder. Nobody is even noticing that you look sick. Yeah. 
you know? And like, I struggle still with going back and forth. I wish my parents had said something. I wish they had done. So I wish they had intervened between being like, well, they probably couldn't have done it or they, I wouldn't have been receptive to it. Or I'm still like make excuses for them not taking care of me, you know? Yeah. And like, I got better with the help of my therapist and myself, like I made it happen. And so like, I'm proud of that. I'm glad of that. But there's still part of me that, that wonders, do you maybe do a little, little self-reflection on your y'all's end? Like maybe that we contributed mm -hmm. to that or could we have done things differently at all? You know what I mean? Like, so it's still something that I feel like I'm working out in my writing and in my work, you know, on my end, because yeah. like there is always that, relationship with your parents where like they are part of your life but they fuck you up you know? <laughs> like... yeah they totally do and and i i think like thinking of like david berman like with his father where i think about it it's like it sounds like his father probably like had a decent amount of money to give but that doesn't make it like easier to like ask no. for help especially in that situation yeah. where it's like you know we it's just hard to ask, you know, mm -hmm. like even if the money were there. Right. But I, I think about situations like growing up, a lot of, a lot of my kind of issues growing up, like my estrangement from my family has been a lot around like religion. Mm. Uh, they were just like super strict. And then I also just had like kind of drinking issues mm -hmm. um, and have gone to like therapy and whatnot for that. But was kind of, but I feel like, like you were saying, like I did it all on my own and I don't think I was, I was definitely 100% never at the point that David Berman was. Right. Um, but it, it's still hard when you kind of look back on these situations with like your parents or your loved ones and you're like, I don't, no one said anything. Right. Like that, that is like a strange thing, you know, like, like my, my dad just now every once in a while will be like, oh, uh. You know, you seem like you're doing fine. Mm -hmm. And it's like, I am now. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it took <laughs> you know, a but long that's like time, a strange dude, thing. You know? yeah. Like, and yeah, like you do, like you're happy, you're bad, you're out of a situation that wasn't good for you, for, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like whatever, whatever that looked like. But it sucks to feel like, why did I not get taken care of? You know, because yeah. we all want that. We all want to be, no matter what, no matter how tough you think you're acting like we all want to be taken care of and acknowledged and seen. And like, so when that's not happening, it hurts. And like, you can go to therapy and work it out, but like you still need to acknowledge like that feeling inside you, you know, like you can let things go and move on, but things hurt like parent shit. Like that's deep, deep, deep shit. And like my, yeah. your parents are still for me, they're still in my life and I do love them, mm -hmm. but I do think that they think, she she looks okay she's okay right yeah. like she's eating she's good you know what i mean they're like i'm not good y'all like you know, just because like i got my shit together doesn't mean anything you know and like you hate that it becomes so much about like like you said like oh you seem okay like yeah i i guess you know <laughs> like do you really want to have a conversation or are you just like saying you look okay you know yeah it's like a lot of issues too growing up like my brother was kind of like in and out of uh kind of he would go to group homes and mm -hmm. uh there was like abuse at home some of kind of religious related and mm -hmm. whatnot it was just very strict kind of right. protestant thing um 
and kind of abuse, uh, just a lot of abuse in the home. Mm-hmm. And like my dad always kind of like acted like he was like a passenger in it, just like, mm. oh, I'm sorry that happened to you. So, I mean, it's, it's hard. It's just like that thing, even it's like however many years it's been since I haven't been home. And I know it's probably the same experience as you, it sounds like. Mm-hmm. It's like, it still weighs on your mind. And you're like, I want to bring it up because it still obviously bothers me, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and, but but it's like I haven't lived at home for I don't know, like more than ten years plus. Right. You know, it's like so what? You know, then you tell your family and they're it just feels like a meme. They're like, oh, sorry that happened to you, or right. you know, it's like it's like they don't. I'm not I'm not sure exactly what I'm trying I to say. I know what you but mean it's, exactly. It's, like yeah. it, it's hard. You yeah. you. When you do so much work on yourself, right, and you do the put the time in and put the work in to really figure out your shit, you want and expect the people that you love around you to do the same, but sometimes they do not. And I don't think, like, in my situation, my parents are not willing to go there. They're not willing mm-hmm. to dig underneath and think about what what could I have done that maybe contributed to this that may be like, and where did that come from? It's not like a blame situation. Mm-hmm. It's more of a like, where did my behaviors come from? And what, how, why did I instill that onto my kids? Who, who made me think that that was the thing or whatever? You know what I mean? Like, so you want to have yeah. like a real conversation, but they just revert to this, oh, you think I caused it or it's my fault. Or you're like, no, yeah, it's nobody's like people fault. get defensive. Yeah, like yeah. it's no one's fault. Like, for me, I got sick for a million reasons. It was not mm-hmm. just because of my parents, for sure. But it had something to do with it, you know? Like, they, yeah. like they're, that was part of it, you know? And, like, you have to, like, at least take accountability and be like, I see how maybe we did this, and, like, I'm sorry for that. You know, it would be so awesome to have, like, a, a, real, a real and true conversation with my parents like that because I have had those types of conversations with my friends in, like – when I was sick, I pushed everyone away. I was, I seemed like a shitty friend because I was really sick and like, I didn't want to let anyone in and then they were hurt. And so they pushed me away. You know what I mean? And I, they had a lot of guilt around it being like, Oh, I wasn't there for you. I'm like, no, it's not, there's no like guilt or blame here. It's just like, Hey, I want to explain why I was shitty at that time. And they're like, I want to explain why I was shitty at that time. You know what I mean? And like, that, yeah. that's great when you can like connect with people that, put their ego aside and just be like i would like to remain i would like to remain friends with you so here's what i have to do to put that work in you know and like i feel like as i get older that's what i realize like you're never gonna have like seamless no bumps on the road relationships like whether that's friends or your loved ones you know your partner you gotta put the work in like if you care about someone to be like hey like this hurt me you hurt me like what's up can we talk about it like i want you in my life so i'm not just gonna be like cut you out you know but like i want to put the time in yeah. to like make sure that we can maintain and we're on the level you know and some people just like aren't able to do that yeah it's tough i mean even when i'm thinking about it like if i think about like my family or how they respond to it it also makes me think we're like oh shit maybe i've done that to other people in my life that are suf- suffering right you know something different um and then like just like it the light bulb goes off and you're like, oh shit, I'm probably doing that. Right. So, I mean, it's a hard thing. Like we were talking about like being defensive or, you know, it's like you kind of just almost got to know you're doing it and not be like, I'm not doing it. You know, which yeah. sometimes it feels like my dad's like, well, sorry that happened to you. Right. You know, 
Um, and like, do you hear but, what you said? Do you hear what you yeah. said? I'm sorry that happened to you. Like, is that an apology? You know what I mean? <laughs> like, what does that mean? Like, you know, like. I think sometimes it's hard to know where to step in. And that doesn't mean you, you know, you shouldn't. But right. it's kind of hard to know, like, how to help sometimes. Like, For sure. I guess even. Uh, it sounds like I'm sympathizing with your parents, but no, you know, like sometimes course. I think about that and with should, my dad. They it's should like, be sympathized with. I get it, you know, yeah. like, but yeah, even for someone that has gone through, a, you know what I mean, mental illness in a really, you know, dark, deep way, it's hard yeah. for me to know, like, how much do people want to be called out, essentially, right? Because nobody mm-hmm. wants to be told, like, hey, you don't seem good. Like, you know, but like, you don't seem good, man. But like, you want people to know that you're there for them and that you're at least like observing that they don't seem okay, you know? And like, when I, when I think there were people that approached me when I was sick that were complete strangers, like I didn't know them at all that would approach me just based on my physical appearance. Like, Hey, you don't seem okay. Are you okay? Do you need help? And like those people really, they saved my life. I really believe because they really made me think like okay i'm not okay like i really i need help like this person is seeing it i need help so like i would love to to do that for people but it's hard when you know them right it's easier to do with a stranger because it's like hey are you good you don't seem good (laughs) when it's your friend and your loved one you don't want to assume anything but you also don't want them to suffer in silence like and because mental health and addiction too are so stigmatized it feels like it's like, oh, we're not supposed to talk about it. It's supposed to be like a secret or something, you know? And like that, like I really didn't talk about my eating disorder besides with my really, really close friends till like the last two years, I would say. I'm like, hey, like I had it. Now I'm like, I'm just like, let's talk about it. It's not a secret. It doesn't have Mm -hmm. to be a secret. Like these things, they only gain power if we don't like acknowledge them as just like things that happen to us. Instead of like, oh, this like huge thing that overcomes us and is our personality. Like it's not us. It's just this other thing, you know? Yeah. And it's, I mean, this is kind of an obvious, obvious statement, but it's like, it's something that's been on my mind so much more. It's with, with the time that we're living in, you know, during the pandemic. Oh yeah. This time, this terrible (laughs) fucking time. Yeah. Uh, This horrible time. Um, (laughs) It's like with my, uh, like my mother, she had issues with like, uh, like went to rehab, went to jail mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, like was addicted to like cocaine, you know, mm-hmm. in the eighties and, and, and whatnot. And like, there it's like addiction in my family, but I feel like my family kind of like covered it up. Mm-hmm. And there was a point with my aunt where she, uh, she took her life mm-hmm. and it was like, at that point in my life, I was like, I didn't know that anyone in our family had these issues. Because, right. like, every time I saw my aunt, she was just the happiest person in the world, mm-hmm. you know? And then it was like, oh, she was, like, super depressed. Mm-hmm. And she, you know, took her own life. And it was just like, what? Yeah. You know? And so a lot of times people's, like, family's response or society's response is just don't put it out there, you know? Right. Because it's, it's perceived yeah. as some sort of of shameful thing you know yeah and i it's like i wish i knew that about my aunt you know i'm not sure well i mean i it's like maybe i could have helped of course i I don't know yeah of course you you know know? but it's like it could have helped her if people knew for sure i know know that a hundred percent 
The more yeah. people know about what you're going through, for better or for worse, it like it's at least going to force you to acknowledge it. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? And like if you keep it, if it's always a secret, then you're not forced to acknowledge it. And it can remain, it just, like I said, gets bigger and grows power in the darkness and like the secrecy. And yeah, like you wonder like, oh, could I have help? Could I have not help? It doesn't, like that's, of course, probably, but I know for sure she would have probably felt acknowledged and seen if people knew she was suffering and didn't have to put on this face of like, everything's fine, you know, everything's okay, everything's great. It's like, it'd be cool if people could just talk like really realistically and be like, I'm not doing good (laughs) y'all. You know what I mean? And that's, I really try to do that now. It's just to be really honest with my friend, with my close people, like when I'm not doing well and just not be like, I'm not doing okay. Like, because that's, that's how they gate, like I said, gain power. If you just keep it like hidden, you know? And it's like, we don't need to pretend that everyone has a perfect, like everybody has this shit. You know, mm. like everybody is going through shit. And it's like it if you find that connected with someone, I think it helps, you know, it helps to feel not alone. It's the same shit with like the Berman shit. Like, you know, like if yeah. you're just looking for connection and you just don't want to feel alone. Like I think about how many people in my family probably had an eating disorder and nobody mm. knew about it or some people knew about it. I certainly never knew about it, but like, I don't believe for one second I'm the first one. You know what I mean? Like, or like, like there was, they just didn't talk about it and they kept it hidden, you know? And like, that makes you so sad. Like you wish you could have found a way for them to voice it and be able to find their way out of it. Yeah. And there's like a thing that I feel like I do. And I know other people do it where sometimes even when I'm talking about like the, my own issues with like drinking and addiction, it's Mm. like, because I stopped drinking so young, you feel like you kind of minimize, I minimalize it. You know, it's like, oh, I know it's not as probably as hard as you dealt with. Mm. Or when I think about David Berman, it's like, clearly he had it worse. But sometimes like your trauma is just your trauma. Like you lived it. Trauma so, is not quantified. Yeah. So it's yeah. like, oh, well, you know, and I know I catch myself doing that in conversations where I, I did it here where I'm like, oh, I know I didn't suffer as much as David Berman did, you know. Right. But it's like. I mean, we shouldn't do that. Shouldn't, I shouldn't do that. Shouldn't do that. You know, because that's yeah. what keeps people from getting help, and like that's what keeps people from talking about it because they think like, oh, I don't really have a problem. Like I, you know, like you know what I mean. Like and like yeah, totally. And just, and we do like paint these beautiful images of the suffering artist, and like, you know, it happens in in addiction and eating disorders and everything. And so like people think, oh, I don't need to get help because I'm not x amount of weight or i haven't lost this much weight yet or i eat this much or i only drink this much i don't drink that much or i you know what i mean like oh i i drink but i don't do drugs or whatever you know what i mean so you find these ways to find like well that's not really a problem you know what i mean like so even even after you're a recovered person you you could find yourself doing that you know and like it's not helpful it's not helpful to you to acknowledge your pain and to really acknowledge like what you went through, it's not helpful for people that are still actively suffering because mm-hmm. like for me, like I kept telling myself constantly, I'm not really sick. I'm not really sick. I'm not really sick because I'm looking around and I'm like, you know what I mean? I'm thinking I look fine. I'm okay. Like, uh, you know what I mean? And you hold yourself up yeah. to some standard of, of desperation <laughs> that you have to achieve to actually like warrant getting help. And like it, it keeps people from getting well. 
Yeah, and there was like a, I feel like a thing, like since I stopped drinking so young, I was like, oh, that's that's it, I fixed it, you know? <laughs> and then it's like... Yay, me, the, I fixed the problem. Yeah, <laughs> and then I feel like it took me till about like my late 20s to be like, oh, I still need to work on these issues. Because yeah. it's like, it's not... And also with going to therapy, I realized it's like, it's not technically, like saying you are, like saying that you were like an alcoholic or something doesn't really pinpoint the issue. It's like you have, you're, you have an addiction, Mm -hmm. you know, it's like you're, you're an addict. Right. You know, it's like, I realized, you know, years after the fact that I stopped drinking, oh, you're still an addict. A hundred percent. You just don't actively drink. Right. You know, and it's like, so you kind of find those other ways in your life that that kind of manifestation you know your addiction manifests itself so yes. you know it's it's tough you know right. to kind of like take that time you know of course it's an like that's like you just for whatever reason you chose alcohol or whatever to be your yeah. to be the thing that you did to deal with it's like whatever. a vehicle right exactly yeah. and i me i chose food my body that's mm-hmm. what i chose it could have been anything really like there were factors that led up to me choosing food but really, like, of course, it's not really about my body. You know what I mean? Or when I had lost X amount of weight, I would have been like, great. You know what I mean? I yeah. look great. Life is solved, yeah. you know? But like, I win. It was We're done. never enough. <laughs> it's never enough. It's never enough. It's never enough. And so even when you go, like, go to the hospital, gain the weight, get your body back, you, same thing. I was like, okay, I'm, I'm good, you know? And they kept telling me, you're not good. <laughs> they kept being like you did the first part which is really hard and we don't want to be dismissive of it but you this is really the easy part you know what i mean like now you have to figure out why you did that and and it'll come it'll said it'll keep coming back up your whole life like and you just gotta like you said like find ways that it's that behavior is rearing its head and like yeah, I, I don't have an active eating disorder i eat normally i don't focus on my body i make a lot of choices in my life specific choices that keep me well in that sense right but like you Mm -hmm. i still need to be watchful of the ways that those behaviors those thinking patterns will creep up and affect my life right even though i look fine and i'm well and i'm good you know but like it's it's something i always need to be aware of at least and like like you it can be like a drag or you're like ah fuck i still have all this work to do but like at least I know I feel good that I'm like aware of it and I can keep Mm -hmm. an eye on it, you know, like, and that I do feel like it's, it's helped me more like, you know what I mean? Like, like, of course I don't want anyone to go through this shit, but I felt prepared to go into a pandemic. (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) Like I felt like I've been through some shit already y'all. Like I've been through some, some times and like, yes, of course this is a, this is a really, it's a bummer couple years, but I felt like I saw a lot of my friends who had never been to therapy and I kind of sailed through life. You know what I mean? They were like, yeah, smash. You know what I mean? And like really got like hit a wall in COVID where I felt like I was, I had t- my tools in my tool belt. You know what I mean? Where it's like, yes, this is bad, but I can, I'm prepared to, to deal mm-hmm. with this because I spent so much time, you know what I mean? Like doing that work. Yeah. And that's, that can be tricky too, because then you're just like, you know, whistling along while everything, you know, cause you're just like, yeah. this isn't so bad. I've seen worse. Or, oh, you know, yeah. it's like, it's like, even if it isn't, you're just like in your head, like, you know, and you're like, this will be fine. This you will know? be all right. You know, like, yeah. you know, but you know, it's just yeah. taking each day as it comes, you know, like, 
Yeah. And when I'm thinking, I guess like even with the, the documentary, there's a part. Um, so like David Berman, he converted to Judaism around 2005. And then like, it's kind of like now in hindsight thing. It's like, mm. I think that was a point where he was kind of clean at that point. And it's still like now looking at it, I'm like, you're still kind of like searching, like mm-hmm. searching for something, you know? And it's like, if David Berman was still here and Judaism worked, then that'd be great. But right. it just kind of felt like that was like what it was like grasping right. for at that time. And it could have been really positive for him at that point in his life. But when I look at it now, I'm like, ah, it kind of is like a bummer. It's like for sure. just trying it on, you know, yes. for that period. Yeah, yeah. you got to figure out like what's going to work for me. What's going to like fill that that place, you know, that maybe I threw drugs into or I threw this into and you know what I mean? Like now that that's not working anymore. Like what else can I throw into that empty hole in my body, you know, in my soul that that needs like taken care of. And like, I will, I'll say that's like something I struggle with, with listening to silver Jews is the God stuff, you know, and like the purple mountains, God stuff. And I'm like, don't relate to that part. Skip that part. <laughs> you know I mean? Like, yeah. cause like it doesn't, that's something that I, it doesn't feel authentic to me at all. So like you wonder like, was it working for you? You know, like, well, like you said, like, was it working or was it not? You know, I'm not sure. I mean, like, with going to recovery meetings like in like aa there's like tons of like god stuff and that all that really threw me like i don't feel like i i didn't go through any steps or anything because i was just like i don't want to talk about like god every time i'm here but it's like there are people that like use aa or uh whatnot and i think they kind of like put on the god stuff as like you know they're able to kind of work through it differently that it's not even like a religious thing for them you know, but I feel like I'm like, it makes it feel weird to me yeah. where I'm just like, I know I'm not this. So I feel like it's like fake. Right. Yeah. Ooh, you know? That would have been hard for me to do for sure. If yeah. I had to use that as part of my recovery, you know, like, cause it would have struggled with being like, but there is no God. Right. Like, <laughs> like yeah. I'd be like looking around and be like, but we all think there's no God. Right. <laughs> yeah. Or it's like, yeah. in the same way, it's like when they're like, kind of like a let go, let God thing. But I'm mm. like, but if there isn't a God who, who's gra- who's picking right. it up. For yeah. Me, there's the right you know? reverse end of it. So yeah. like if we're, yeah, if we're just using like therapy instead of like that kind of language, it's like, then who am I leaning? Who, who am, am I leaning, leaning into? On? Yeah. I mean, Is it myself? You know, right. like, what I, are we am doing? Am I here? God? <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. And I guess even like thinking about, so he was married to Cassie Berman from 1999 to 2018. Mm. And then even after they were um, like, they were kind of separated for a while before his passing and before they like officially separated i guess legally uh that like he they still like live together and still like own mm. things together and one of the comments he said was just like i can't live it's like i'm not it's like let me sit, try and say it right it's like i can't live without her in my life mm. but i know that she can't live dealing with me i guess was mm-hmm. to kind of paraphrase it it's like such a sad thing that was just kind of separate himself it's like in those instances it's like you want people to reach out to you Mm -hmm. but is that i mean is that was that truthfully gonna like help you know it's like someone comes to you and like kind of reaches out like i know that you're suffering it's like 
potentially sometimes I feel like I just like pull away more. Right. You know, and then so you're always kind of asking people. And that's where I think it's hard with kind of reaching out to friends that Mm -hmm. I see having just issues like this. uh, Where it's like if I reach out, is this kind of like, am I... It's just like, are we doing like a charade thing? It's right. like, they might need me to reach out, but is this part of the act? Right. So it's like, is it better that I leave them alone to work through it? You know, so it's it's really, co- I can't imagine like how complicated it must have been. Like, you know, that relationship between the both of them, you know, dealing For with sure. That. Of course. Yeah. Like, because you do like, you do wonder, like I've had friendships where they were addicts and they were really important to me and I love them and I... I felt like I was helping them, I was helping them, I was helping them, and then I realized, like, I'm not helping them. Yeah, or sometimes it's like, and you probably have been in this situation where it's like, I could be helping them, but at what point am I kind of actively hurting myself? For sure, yeah. Like, and that's like a weird part to be where I'm like, I don't want to be selfish in this situation, but I think by helping this person with the work that they need, yeah, I'm probably hurting myself. Oh my God, yeah, like, you said it, like, there was a girl that I was in the the hospital with and she was amazing. And we left the hospital a similar time and she, like I, I stayed well and she didn't. And um, so we saw each other after several months and I could see immediately, you're not okay. Right. And we ate a meal together. Right. And I could, you're not okay. I know what you're doing. You can't trick me. You know what I mean? Like, but I didn't want to get involved. Like I was so freshly like sober, right? I don't want to, I cannot get involved in this. Like I felt myself make a decision. Like you seem really bad, but I, it's almost like it's contagious, right? Like I don't want it to, I, to catch on to me, right? So I didn't say anything to her about it, pretended everything was fine and kind of just kept my distance. And she died like, six months later of a heart attack as many, many people with anorexia do. And I still am like, I'm haunted by that decision, but I also know like it wasn't a safe place for me to be involved. Yeah. It wasn't safe for me. You know? I mean, that's like truthful. It's like you probably at some point you're like, I wish I could have helped, but it's like, I I can't, I can't, I have to, I can't help as much. I have to protect myself first. Yeah. And I, I find myself doing that. My, my brother, like my mother and like myself in ways like he struggles still actively with, uh, you know, being an addict Mm -hmm. and it's hard for me because Mm -hmm. it's like, I'm like, it's just that same thing. I guess we were just discussing. It's like, I don't know if I have the space that I think you're going to require. Right. You know, for this. Uh, But that like just shows you like you've done a lot of work and like, believe me, like I was raised to be like always helpful and like don't put it put other people first and like you know what I mean like don't ask for anything don't ask do not ask for anything and so it took me like I even like in my marriage with Pat I have to explain to him like asking for things is not and does not come naturally to me it's a skill that I try to develop and I try to practice doing it you know what I mean so if I'm asking you for something like that like just please acknowledge it because it like it's a big step for me you know like so even like getting to that place where you can see that in yourself like oh like this is something I need I need to like just protect myself right here that's like a brave act that says fuck you to your addiction that wants you to put everything else first you know what I mean like so like it seems like 
for me, sometimes I feel like a failure when I can't help people, but I know that actually like it's me winning because it's me winning over my illness because I'm allowing myself to see like, I need to survive. I need to put myself first, you know, like that's number one, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Being able to like say no to things, yeah. <laughs> you know, you know uh, not just the kind of obvious thing, right, you know, of but like, course. Yeah, yeah. like, just like, I think if I do this, it's going to like put a lot of stress on me, right. you know, like whatever it is, it's like, I got to say no, mm-hmm. you know? And it, but it is hard, like, you know, being with being in a relationship, like it's, it's harder. Sometimes it's harder for me to do that. It's like, I don't think I have the space to help, but it's like, but if you, sometimes if I do that, then it's like my spouse still needs me in that moment, yeah. <laughs> you know, to help them. Yeah, so yeah, it's like, yeah. but it's like, I can't respond, but it's like, it doesn't change the fact that they need to respond, but right. it also doesn't change the fact that you can't respond right. properly you know so mm-hmm. it's it's a tough situation to be in i guess even to equate that back to david and cassie for sure know? yeah like it it's really hard but we can't be like everything to everyone you know and like that's something i try to remember like my pat's not my therapist like you know what yeah. i mean like my parents are my therapist like you know what i mean like i get what i can get from the people I'll, you know you get a little bit here, a little bit there. You know? like, yeah. And yeah, knowing that my wife is not my therapist has been something that I, it's like a mantra now for yes, me. It's like, yes. And then it's hard, you know, it's like, she can't be your therapist, you mm-hmm. know. She cannot. Yeah, yeah. Like you cannot, like there, there's people that train for this, y'all. They go to school, they know what they're doing. <laughs> you know? Like yeah. as much as you love someone, you're not trained to like properly respond because you respond as a love for as your part, you respond to someone who loves you. And like, you know what I mean? Like, that's not the same way a therapist would respond. Like, like your loved one wants to help and fix and do everything, like make you make your pain stop at any cost, right? A therapist is going to help you work through the shit. Like, even when it hurts, yeah. right? Going to therapy sucks. It's awful. But then it's great, you know? But like your day to day is shitty because you're going through all the shit. Whereas like your loved ones just want to comfort you, right? And that mm-hmm. helps only, but only in the moment right like yeah yeah and i guess like the thing it's like well but sometimes my you know spouse needs me to comfort her Mm -hmm. (laughs) and then it's like but i need to you know that's the thing it's like but i need to be comforted right now but it's like you know it's hard uh and sometimes with therapy though i feel like it's like you start the session and it's like i don't know what i'm going to talk about Mm -hmm. but it just comes out you know? oh yeah like it's just it's just like oh well shit i didn't even realize that was bothering me of course you know of course yeah yeah because mm-hmm. that's their job and that's that space to give you that space to really like be free and not be like someone that's trying to be a husband or be a whatever you're just like there to think about yourself you know that's why everybody should go <laughs> yeah. Everybody, yeah. you should all go everybody should well, go. And it's and it was i mean it was tough last year though like i was working a job where i didn't have health insurance so trying to go of course you know to therapy when you don't you know it's like you can spend money and do it but also like having health insurance is nice yes you know and it's a i guess i could say it's a privilege you know that i'm able to uh that i didn't even really have like within like the last year Mm -hmm. so if you're able to go definitely go it's it's very helpful for sure and then like let's vote people into office that are going to give us universal health (laughs) care yes please yes please that'll help (laughs) yeah okay so what i do want to talk about 
So Lovelorn put out a new record, and that came out August 6, 2021. Yes. I know that it was, I guess, a little bit longer of a process, you know, based on the last year. Mm -hmm. Could you explain, like, what that looked like? Maybe even if you want to go back further with, like, going from Creepoid into Lovelorn. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, Creepoid was amazing, and, and, uh, yeah, Creepoid was amazing. But it wasn't going to last forever because... You know, it's harder as you get older as people like have diverging ideas about what they want their life to look like. Right. So like Sean really wanted to start having children and it didn't for him. He didn't want to be in a band where he wanted to transition to being like, I'm a full time dad now. Right. So it was really, really hard and really painful ending. It wasn't like we we're all like, goodbye, friends forever. You know what I mean? Like he left and it was devastating to Pat and I. We were very upset. But we also understood, you know what I mean? We weren't mad, It was, but it was like a grieving process that took months to really figure out. And like Pat and I, we got married in October of 2009 and Creepoid started in December of 2009. So for the bulk of our marriage, save for two months, right, we were in Creepoid together. So we had to really figure out what does our marriage look like without Creepoid? Like it had been like mm -hmm. such an important part of our marriage. It's like, well, what does this look like? Do we want to be in another band? What would that look like? What did we not like about being in Creepoid? What could we fix? Or not fix, but like what would we make changes to to make being in a band as a married couple better? Right? Because it's not super easy to be married. Yeah. <laughs> like it is. It's I, I would rather be married than have my spouse touring all the time and we not be together. I'd rather be together, but it was difficult for sure. And certainly with my eating issues complicated things right being on the road but we decided i guess like almost a year later let we want to do it again <laughs> we're crazy let's be in a band together again and so we made really specific changes to how we would do that right like to make it better for both of us and we did have a third member originally but he was not committed to being in a band and touring and we were like okay i think we're we actually want to be a two piece. Like we really just mm -hmm. came to the come realization, like who can I trust more than you? Nobody. Like there's no one I can trust more than you. And like, we would just have had so many, so many people like just flake and bail and you know what I mean? Like I get it, but I want somebody, I want the core of our relationship in the band to be the core of us, like counting on one another. So that was the idea behind it to try making the transition to being a two piece. But we had already written the whole record as a three-piece, right? So we had to cut everything, <laughs> like start pretty much completely over and get rid of everything that had had that third member with a strong hand on it, right? So we wrote the mm -hmm. whole record over and we recorded it with Don DeVore, who's amazing but insane and has his own specific crazy weird way of doing things. So it mm -hmm. complicated things. So everything was sort of so pushed back even before COVID that when COVID hit, it was like, oh my God, again, like another thing, you know? And even just like a now, like our record was released in August, but I only, I got the records last week. Like, yeah. So I physically have vinyl now and it seems unbelievable to me that we finally have this thing, this project that took so much effort into happening, but then I'm still like, I listen to it and I'm like, still holds up like i'm still super yeah. stoked on it you know so like in a way that's good because you're like all right i had a lot of time in between writing this and having it appear to me and i still like feel really good about it you know 
and like the whole thing is just love letters to each other like like and not love letters like i love you like i can't understand how to love you yeah and like that's been cool to like transition between writing a record as a four piece to as a two piece and like really letting our relationship guide like lyrically how we're putting together songs yeah yeah i because i know like when we i think the last time we played together was probably like 2019 or maybe even 2018 i think it was 2018 probably yeah. uh yeah and then it was like kind of leading up to the record but yeah to have like the pandemic happen and kind of delay it again is like such a bummer yeah um but but i get that feeling and then even in pandemic it's like pressing plants are like taking like a year and a half now or right. whatnot mm-hmm. you know so it's yeah <laughs> there are a lot of hurdles Such a, yeah, uh, a lot of jumps to get through but it's here now <laughs> yeah it's here yeah, now i love it so i'm happy you know and um what do you think the next plans well with that record i don't want to say like what are what's the next record going to be like but um what are what are the plans with this record like going into you know 2022 yeah i think we just like we are learning still how to be a two-piece and like how Mm -hmm. to make the music that we want to make between the two of us and like not being guitar players but wanting guitar in a record or you know what i mean like figuring out like how do we do that and like we just we like to push each other, right? So I don't want to write a record. I never want to write a record that's like this, exactly the same. Like I'm always like interested in pushing forward, right? And what I like about Love Lauren is I have a lot of freedom to dive really deep into my personal life. Whereas with mm-hmm. Creepoid, I didn't never wanted to do that so much because we were trying to tackle more larger abstract things, like universal themes more than, yeah. but with Love Lauren, I I love that I get to really mine my own personal experience for inspiration. So mm-hmm. like that's what I do. Like I usually start lyrically and think about what do I want to write a song about. Like instead of oh like we have a drum part, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah. it's more like what do I want to write a song about and what would that feel like and what like I approach it more like an art project, like the way I would when I was in school, like that place of where I want to take it is more my approach here. So that's what I've been trying to do now is like thinking about getting back in that mind space of writing. Like what would I want to write about? What would I want to explore? You know, like rather than start with sounds, cause I'm not, mm-hmm. I'm a visual artist first and foremost, you know? And like, I think I did not, I think I kept trying to be like, prove myself as a musician. Like I'm a musician now. Cause like I never picked up a bass till I was 28 years old. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I think I needed to prove I'm a bassist and now I don't feel that way anymore. Like I just feel like I can be whatever I want to be and I can just explore my ideas in the way that feels natural to me. And I don't need to do it in like this musician way or whatever. You know what I mean? Like allowing myself to play on my strengths. I feel like, cause I, I picked up bass a little bit later too. And mm-hmm. a lot of it was just like, Oh, well I wanted to, I guess like, I don't want to say I I wanted to contribute more in like a songwriting process Mm -hmm. or feel like I could kind of like steer the songwriting process. So it's, it's kind of hard. Like, I feel like when you Mm -hmm. start an instrument later on in life, you know, theoretically, Mm -hmm. it's like, you almost feel like you have to like do more to prove your, you know, you're good. And then it's like getting to a point as like a bass player myself where it's like, 
kind of like lay back mm-hmm. because it's like I don't need to like prove that I can do everything at once. Right. You know, and, you know that that's it's really hard. And like you were saying with kind of writing first, I feel like a lot of times when I'm like writing lyrics, it's like off the melody or the song. Mm-hmm. And lately, I've been trying to think about more of. You know, like what am I actually trying to say right. in a song? And, it, and it's tough. Um, but, you know, it's just like, what am I actually saying? Like, what does this say? I guess even like back to Silver Jews, it's like he's saying like so much. Right. You know, and. I don't want it to, to be like an afterthought. I want it to be the, the the thought, like the first thing, you know, like. Yeah. I think that's true as like for me as a woman too, like just feeling like I have to prove that I'm a good musician. You know, because you just get so much like shit, basically. But now I don't I don't feel that way as much, you know, like I just feel like, you know, you like it or you don't like it, that guy. You know what I mean? Like, I don't feel this like need to compete in the Mm -hmm. same way. I think that I've learned to like let a lot of that go. You know, like it used to be like really hard for me to watch. Oh, this band's getting so big and like they're getting to do this cool thing and why am I not getting to do the cool thing? And like, and I just realized like, like over time, like it's all the fucking same. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah. it's all the same. Like I drive around bands like in Philly as a runner that are playing a 10,000 cap venue. And they're talking about the same shit that I talk about in the band. Like they don't like their catering. They don't like the hotel room. They don't like their monitor. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm like it's the same shit. So if you can just feel good and feel like, you're finding your success in the way that that is good for you. Like there's so much peace in that. I feel like I've let a lot of that shit go. Like, especially in the pandemic, just been like, you know what? I'm just going to do what feels good to me. And I don't need to compete with anybody else, you know, like for this tool, like, especially like living in Instagram times, right. Where it's just like, seems like, Oh, they're crushing it. But in my head, I'm like, they're not, they, they're having a terrible time. Or like, you know, what I mean? like, you yeah. know, like, like they're having fun, of course, but like the vans break it down and they're getting sick and they're getting, you know what I mean? Like, so just being able to like challenge those thoughts, I think as I continue to do work on myself has really helped me find a lot of peace in my it, like happiness with music. Like I don't need yeah. to, to be the best at it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's like sometimes when I look at things on Instagram, I'm like, is this band truthfully killing or are they just better at graphic design? Yeah. Yeah. Right. I'm like, okay. Somewhere in the middle. Maybe both. Somewhere in the middle, probably, you know, like. Um, I mean, I super appreciate you taking the time to talk with me about this record and just in general, you know. Well, thanks for having me. It was great. So where can people find you online? So we're at all the usual suspects, Spotify, Apple Music, Bandcamp, the money comes to us. So buy stuff off Bandcamp. Instagram is lovelornphilly. Well, thank you so much for talking to me. Thank you. Welcome back. Thanks again to Anna for coming on the pod. Check out the Lovelorn record right now on 6131 Records. Next week, we're talking with my longtime friend Wes Hamilton about the 1973 album Doug Somm and his band. It's an underrated country classic. As I mentioned at the top, please check out our Patreon. That's patreon.com slash spinningoutpod. Also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at spinningoutpod. And rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Thanks, as always, to Sarah for editing the pod and Pretty Maddie for the theme. Before I let you go, please have an amazing 2022. 
And in these strange times, please be safe out there. And of course, see you next week. I've been in it.